Looking to start your own website? The first thing you need is a domain name, and the best place to get one is at GoDaddy.com. With your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $7.49 a year. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because Jim Dale beats Stephen Fry. You bitch! Well, that was highly unprofessional. This is MuggleCast, episode 194, for March the 16th, 2010. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 194. It's a three-man show this week. Eric, Micah, and I, um, Ben and Jamie, were going to be on, but then they ditched us. <laughs> well, Ben, for good reason. Jamie, I'm, I'm not so sure what happened to him. Jamie literally ditched us. Yeah. I'm going to be seeing him later this week, and um, I'll be sure to punch him for all of you. He, he, didn't, he didn't call. He didn't write. He just didn't show up yes where how are you gonna be able to see jamie this week yeah what's Andrew? what's what's up with that <laughs> i'm going to london uh in a few days for what to visit the set of harry potter and the deathly hollows it's very exciting what yes so yeah but we won't be able to say, i won't be able to say much about it i'll be able to write a little report but i'm excited it, it, it'll be fun we're gonna be seeing a really cool scene um and i'll be able to write a little teaser report afterwards and then the full report will come later this year so Cool. Yeah. Now that's like what you did with. Hopefully. I mean, what did you do that for Half Blood Prince? I know you did for Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you got to see the the detail that went into Umbridge's cat, you know, dishes, right? Yeah, they were all about that with Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully there'll be something um, interesting. Yeah, there should be. Hopefully, hopefully they're hopefully they're not you know giving up at this point, and we're gonna go there and like the place is just a wreck. <laughs> You know, sort of like senioritis when nobody cares anymore. Well, they're tearing it down, you know, like, afterwards. <laughs> I know. Dancing, that interview, that they're just... Well, some of the sets, not all. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I'll probably have more on that on the next episode. But this episode, we got some news to catch up on, chapter by chapter, of course. We got a favorite segment. Oh, so much more. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Like, uh, you know, I I hate to dwell on this because I feel like every other every week I'm like, or every episode I'm like, it was a big news week. It was a slow news week. It was a big news week. It was a slow news week. But this past two weeks was probably the slowest Harry Potter news week that we've ever seen. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. It, it was very, very slow. I mean, all you have to do is go on the site and look at 
the number of news posts since we released our last episode. And it's it's probably about five or six. So, wow, it's on, uh, it's on the same page. It's, there was a four-day gap between news items. <laughs> That's like a new record for us, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, but that is not a sign of Harry Potter dying down. Because, of course, <laughs> you know, as we get closer to the film, it's going to explode with news. I mean, you know. And the park, we'll too. We'll be posting. Yeah, the park's going to be a big news item as well. And Lego Harry Potter. So there, there's a lot uh, that, that I think will be... In the news in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, these last two weeks have been a little bit light. Uh, we did have one story which you posted yesterday, um, where Jason Isaacs brought up the fact that, uh, he had a little bit of a limited role in Deathly Hollows, uh, and that, yeah, he made a decision that I don't know, is he questioning that decision now? Um, because, well, I think he is jokingly, but. Yeah. Here, here, let's listen real quick to what he had to say. This was uh, comments he made to uh, BBC Radio 2 the other day. Can we talk about Potter? Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Oh, absolutely. Have you finished rapping? <laughs> no, you haven't. Yeah, no, I have finished. Um, that, hopefully there'll be some publicity and I can maybe get the wig back on again. It was a very sad day for me, the day I left. In fact, it, it wasn't planned. There was a decision we made about how Lucius should end his bit in the story. And we've been leading up to it for a while, and David, the lovely director, kept coming to me going, what are we going to do at the end? What are we going to do? That's really great. How are we going to give you a lovely ending? And one day I came up with this thing, and he went, oh, that's it. Oh, that's it. That'd be great. And we shot some particular bit, but I was still had months left to film, mm-hmm. and I went to the trailer and took my gear off, and the first assistant came to see me and went, Jace, we were just looking at the schedule, and we realised that, actually, we don't need you now, in January, February, March. And I went, no. oh, went, well, because that thing you just decided to do means you're not in that scene, or that scene, or that scene. And I went, oh. I've changed my mind. <laughs> no, I'm a terrible mistake. Get everybody back. So he revealed that David Yates, the director, came to him and said, you know, how are we going to end your character's role? Jason came up with an idea that ended up cutting him out from several scenes. He didn't kill himself, did he? No. He didn't kill Lucius, Lucius Malfoy. Then what happened, Eric? What do you think they did? I think that they that that Lucius is is going to be in the chamber of secrets when 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 Ron and and Hermione go down there and that's that's going to be that's going to be his end there's going to be another basilisk it's going to be awesome <laughs> so he's going to die yeah, yeah but but no 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 not necessarily <laughs> but just uh so so he's obviously he's trying to get into Hogwarts you know and all that so he won't be in, at the scenes in the manor and stuff cuz he'll be like conspicuously absent i just think it means that because of where he is in the scene you know it doesn't make sense for him to be in the background of other scenes. I I I don't, you know, I don't think Maybe. he's dead. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course that is one popular f- yeah. theory being floated around right now cuz I mean, you know, Jason Isaacs is very passionate about this role, but on the other hand, I can't imagine him coming up with an intricate new theory. <laughs> and I don't think he would though. That's the thing. I mean, he's very true to the books and he loves the story. So I don't I don't think he would do anything that's really too far off of what's in the books. Right. That's true. But it's, it's, it's killing yeah. off his character. That's definitely a possibility, uh, because this is something I know that a lot of fans of the books worry about, is do the characters get a just end in the movies? And Lucius doesn't really, or Lucius, doesn't really get that great of an ending. I mean, he kind of just walks off with uh, Narcissa and Draco, and there's really no story about what happens to him. We know that he doesn't necessarily turn good, but... You know, he kind of eludes all the fighting that's going on at Hogwarts to save his son. And 
I don't know if that's going to be a good enough end for people who have seen him be sort of this evil, sadistic character throughout the course of the movies. Yeah. What do you guys think? I th- I think that's a good point. But this also makes me wonder, like, well, first of all, on top of, you know, Jason really caring about the role and, and these books, David Yates also really care- cares about the these books. So I don't think he would want to kill him off either. However, this this makes me wonder, did he ask, um, you know, other actors how they want to end their roles? You know, did they just like all come up with clever ways to end it? Because I think it would be really cool to see each character have some sort of special ending. Yeah. yeah. And by each character, I don't mean obviously every character, but the, the bigger roles. I agree. I mean, I think it's going to be something akin to the, you know, the toothpaste, uh, gag in, 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 in Half-Blood Prince, which just that, you know, it's something that, that was a strict movieism and it, it but it, but it, it was recurring in the movie. So it like had continuity and it doesn't really matter, but it's, it's cool. You know, I mean, many people, yeah. I guess, didn't like My it. concern, though, in this, though, is what would he have decided upon that would make him miss months of filming? That he wouldn't be in this scene or that scene or that scene? And it's all conjecture because we don't know in what order things were really filmed. Uh, he could have filmed right. the ending at the very beginning. Uh, so, I mean, the other thing he could have done is, is switch sides earlier and sort of betrayed uh, Voldemort in some capacity. I don't know. But uh, this is really odd. I mean, going back to the point you made earlier, are, are we going to see the scene where uh, David Thewlis and, and Natalia Tana get killed? Because that's not in the books. Right. But a moviegoer would need more of that resolution, I think, instead of, you know, just seeing them on the table in the Great Hall and passing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it is interesting. That I mean, and, and you know, the other thing, like, like we've gotten, I think, further confirmation in the past few weeks that uh, there won't be any Hogwarts appearing in the first movie. You know, I, I speculated at one point that it'd be cool to see Neville and all them going around, not just in a flashback, but sort of concurrently while everybody else is on the road as a nice detractor. But it was actually like, I think it was confirmed, I forget who did it, that, that we wouldn't see Hogwarts in book one. So they're they're sticking heavy to the book. So it, it is interesting for, for Jason Isaacs to say, hey, you know, I I got to choose how I ended, you know, things. And uh, of course, for it to have, you know, removed him from certain scenes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This should be interesting. When I'm on set next week, I'm going to ask him. But I probably won't be able to tell you because it pertains to part two, and I can't talk about part two until part two's out. Well, you could tell us. You just can't tell I'll them. I'll tell you two. Yeah. Them, them being, being the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Them listeners. <laughs> I'll be like, Mr. Yates, please, don't tell me. Don't tell me Lucius is dead. He'll be like, no, no, of course not. Of course not. That'd be ridiculous. We'd never do such a thing. But we did kill McGonagall. Anyway, what else is going on, Micah? Well, uh, a little bit of news on the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. There seems to be a lot of uh, contests, as we expected, that are surfacing to uh, give people the opportunity to win a trip down to uh, the Harry Potter theme park when it opens. And Ellen DeGeneres is joining the mix, and uh, she's looking for diehard Harry Potter fans. And mm-hmm. uh, we know that she is going to be down there doing a couple episodes from Universal Orlando uh, in the coming months. And uh, it may, in fact, be tied in with the opening of the park. Or maybe she's uh, getting a tour, I think it was, uh, even if it's exactly. not going to be fully complete. Who knows uh, exactly what the specifics are going to be. But uh, this is just another great opportunity for people to uh, submit and uh, hopefully win. I'm guessing this is another... Uh, th- what Ellen's going to do is she's going to go down there while taping her shows and then get a tour of the park, but she's going to take the Harry Potter fan, the diehard Harry Potter fan, down with her 
And then, like, Ellen will walk around and be like, oh, what's this? What's this? And the Die Hard <laughs> fan will be like, oh, well, that is uh, Honey Dukes. Uh, that's it found in uh, Hogsmeade. Uh. Oh, that's a great point. <laughs> so, did you guys... I applied for this. Did you really? Did, did you guys? Yeah. You're not precluded in any way? Well, it said kids, but I don't <laughs> think... They they didn't set an age. Do you have a precocious child who knows everything there is to know? <laughs> I, I read Child Andrew on MuggleNet, and I said, darn it, I can't apply. That just... It, it it naturally was an exclusion to me. You know what? I did it anyway. Whatever. And 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 it, there's a little box that says explain why you would be the best <laughs> Harry Potter fan. Because on the on the form it said you know if you were under fourteen have your parents sign this. But you know you don't have to be under fourteen. There was no strict age. Yeah, yeah. So I said, look, I post news on MuggleNet. Ellen, I'll help you out. When I'm through with you, you'll be the best Harry Potter fan in the world. And I left it at that. Yeah. Well, it's it's. Did you really write that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I put it a little nicer, but I did say I'm part of MuggleNet, and uh, when I'm through with you, you will be t- <laughs> the best Harry Potter. That's really awesome. And, you know, I mean, they they have too many contests for these for kids who like Harry Potter. You know, what about us? And we were kids when we liked Harry Potter, right? You know, I was just reading my book for chapter by chapter. My book is my paperback book is eight years old and falling wow. apart. You know, I mean, yeah. we were kids once. We're not anymore. They need to have more contests to, to like take us places. Yeah. And to be honest, you know, they'll pick the they'll they'll end up picking a 14-year-old and that person will stink. I'm sorry, but yeah. you know, you need someone with personality to join Alan down there. So that's why I I, I also mentioned MuggleCast. So, Ellen, pick me. Yeah, this is just another one of those competitions I think uh, that NBC is doing. We mentioned the Today show a while back, so it seems like a lot of the NBC shows now are getting involved in the park opening and the construction that's going on down there and doing all these uh, these shows. But guess what, Andrew? For all that we have on the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you can visit our theme park section. That's right. Where all of this information is. Yes. We have a very exhaustive th- exhaustive theme park section on MuggleNet. Uh, just go to MuggleNet.com, and on the left side, under Info, you'll see HP Theme Park, and there's pictures and the latest news stories and some numbers and all that. By the way, if Ellen uh, picks me, I will be also giving her tips on American Idol, because I don't think she's been very good on that show. So. Wow. That's a bold statement. What? Well, I, I want to tell her how it's done. How to judge. Ellen... I'm going to judge you judging. You, you didn't like her comparison about the banana in the paper bag? <laughs> that, that was I. That was her one joke she ever made on the show. I thought that was kind of funny because that's what people are expecting her to do. But that was the one time she made a joke. I was like, it's about time. Well, speaking of the, the Wizarding World, uh, the last bit of news that we have is that the Hogwarts Express is finally there. And uh, I received a picture in my uh, inbox and I posted it on the site. And you know how much I love pictures uh, after Half-Blood Prince, so this was uh, just like Christmas Day for me. <laughs> but uh, it's good to see the parks coming together. And, uh, you know, I think we'll continue to get more uh, from Universal Orlando uh, as uh, the pieces of the puzzle uh, start coming together. Well, it's a beautiful photo, and what what was new about this photo is you see the steam coming out of the, the, the Hogwarts Express. And that really makes it feel alive. You know, I thought the thing was just going to sit there, but it's also going to be billowing steam, and it's got uh, Harry's, um, you know, little uh, carriage with all his luggage sitting right out front of it. So it's really cute, and it looks like to the on the left side of the train, there's a little ramp to walk to walk up to sort of get photo um, yeah, a little photo opportunity there. So I think oh, it's what a nice little welcoming to to walk into the theme park. 
little Hogwarts Express. Yeah, it seems like they're doing everything possible to make the experience for for people. Yeah, I mean that that, that just the billowing smoke. I think that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, it brings it to life. It's cool. Good job, Universe. <laughs> uh, there was one thing uh, that isn't in. I just checked in the at the end of the show when we remind people about Infinitus. Um, Christian Coulson is going to be there. Yes, that mention. news was revealed uh, earlier this week. Chamber of Secrets star who played Tom Riddle. Ah, oh, that's awesome. What's a, what's a good quote from that movie uh, by him? Uh, for the last few months, Harry, my target has been you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he'll be at Infinitus and in, uh, Infinitus2010.org is a site you can go to get all the information about the Harry Potter conference. What's next? And yes, Ben, we will be doing a podcast there. <laughs> he telepathically asked me. All right, so let's move on now to the emails this week. And well, before we get to the regular emails, you guys may remember that um, last last time on episode 193, we were talking about what the uh, not my daughter, you bitch, sound clips. Sounded like uh, when narrated by Stephen Fry and Jim Dale. Well, our faithful listeners, um, Shay, John, and Josh, they all sent in the clips of Stephen and Jim uh, narrating this bit of the book. And they are so funny. I'd never heard them before. So first, <laughs> here's <laughs> here's Stephen Fry. Not my daughter, you bitch. <laughs> and then here's Jim Dale. Not my daughter, you bitch! <laughs> so, oh, I just thought it was funny. Stephen Fry. Who wins out there? I think Jim Dale does. Yeah, I think so, too, because of that pause. Totally Stephen Fry. There's no pause mid-sentence. Let's listen again. Here's Stephen. Not my daughter, you bitch! And here's Jim. Not my daughter, you bitch! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I gotta I'd- give it to Jim Dale. Yeah. Right, that's like a separate thought. There's no separate thought in there. It's like, not my daughter, you bitch. But that inflection makes all the difference. But Jim I think. was on the you show. Bitch. Jim was on the show. Stephen was not. So it I, goes to I Jim. am. I'm sorry. I am on the side of Stephen Fry on this one. That's, oh, that's all okay. I'm with Jim Dale and Micah. By the way, we should mention, and some people, uh, I guess, newer listeners don't know this. The intro to our show. When you hear uh, uh, Welcome to MuggleCast and you hear McGonagall and Dobby characters talking, that's Jim Dale. Yeah. He, did that na- he did that narration for us uh, when we interviewed him about uh, close to two years ago. And uh, we've that's been so awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. And when we asked him to do it, it was great because like he just we didn't even ask him to do those voices. He yeah. just We were like, hey, can you do an intro for us? And he just went into that thing. It was really, really nice of him and <laughs> so good. So... <laughs> Love having that. That's a really nice way to intro the show. Okay, let's get into some emails. Eric, could you read the first one from Gigi? 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 First one comes from Gigi D, uh, age 15, from Missouri. She says, Hey, MuggleCasters, I have a Muggle mail about Hermione and time travel. In the last two episodes, 192 and 193, you talk about how Hermione must be older, but I don't think she is. In Chamber of Secrets, she's petrified and therefore does not age, so the time traveling would really speed up her growing so that she would be her actual age by the end of POA. If she would have continued for much longer, though, I think she would have had more aging problems. To put this another way, Harry is about three hours older, but Hermione is not. Sorry if this sounds confusing. I love your show, and I've been a listener for a while since episode 101. Sincerely, Gigi. That's kind of cool. She uh, points out that uh, Hermione being petrified uh, may have served to counteract uh, her aging <laughs> in the next book. That's kind of cool. That is cool. That's that's a funny way. We have smart I get- listeners. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could picture uh, Joe mentioning that, too. <laughs> That's true. That's really cool. It's her clever little way of uh, excusing that whole, yeah. you know, theory of Hermione, you know, aging. <laughs> History is course correcting. <laughs> yes. Michael, would you like to take the next email? Yeah, the next email comes from Xenia, 18 of Phoenix, and she says, Just a slight correction. One of the reader emails said that Trelawney told Lavender to beware a redhead man. It was, in fact, Parvati. Love the show. It pays to have the book in front of you. From Xenia. <laughs> All right. Oopsies. Yeah. A little I, backhanded uh, compliment. This was sent in, actually, by uh, quite a few people, so uh, it wasn't just Xenia that... Uh, caught this and uh, <laughs> what people were suggesting was in fact Trelawney was not seeing Parvati but her sister who ends up at the Yule Ball with Ron Oh, we have an excuse for everything on this show yeah we do <laughs> <laughs> did, did you pick this email just because she signed it Pickles we haven't heard that in a while well, and no. her name is Xenia which is awesome but, yeah I picked it because of her name <laughs> So if you want your email read on the show, please uh, come to us with the coolest name And be ever. from the coolest place. Phoenix? Not saying that Phoenix is the coolest place, but yeah. Oh. I, I look at countries, too, when, I, when I'm picking emails, you know, to kind of <laughs> highlight our inter- international <laughs> listeners. You are so biased. Our poor li- but we do read all your emails. We do. We just, we can't read, uh, we can't put them all on the show, of course. Oh, well, we could. It would just be really long. Next email comes from Georgia Kate, age 14, from Bristol, United Kingdom. She says, hey guys, I was recently listening to episode 193. During the chapter-by-chapter review, you mentioned that on the morning of Harry's Quidditch match, in which he sees the Grimm, he woke up to find Crookshanks in the boys' dorm, and spent most of the morning trying to stop Crookshanks from re-entering the dorm. By this point, Crookshanks should know that Scabbers is not as he seems, so I had thought maybe Crookshanks was watching over Harry, kind of protecting him, if Pettigrew tried to approach him. Just a theory. Hope you like it. Love the podcast. Keep up the awesome work. Interesting. I think it's cool. Well, I mean, what's going to happen? Is is Crookshanks going to bust in with an AK-47 or something if, uh, you know, Pettigrew transforms? I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know that Scabbers is that dangerous, though. I mean, you look at the fact of the first two books, he never attempted to do anything to Harry throughout any of those, so... It's a fair question, because knowing that Crookshanks is talking to the dog version of Sirius... It seems very plausible that Sirius would say, hey, look, can you look after Harry? You know, it, it just seems like Harry yeah. might need protecting. You know, like that that seems to be the credit for this. And then on the other hand is your question, Micah, because uh, when Pettigrew does transform back into a human, it's like the first time he's apparently done it in like 13 years. And he has to be like forced to transform back. You know, like, it's not, it's not an easy transition. It's not like he's just gonna whip out, it's like, like, turning back to human is like an option to him just yet. And I mean, Pettigrew's very much waiting to see what is and isn't, you know, going to happen. Like, if he has the upper hand, if Voldemort will take him back and all that, then he'll do it. But, you know, it is kind of a question of whether or not Peter can turn back to being human, you know. But he's still a dirty rat. He is. So. I mean, it's a good question. Yeah, I think the theory is plausible. It is It is a very interesting, and we'll discuss more about Crookshanks and Scavers and all that in this uh, upcoming chapter-by-chapter chapter series, because there's a couple more rounds of fighting in this <laughs> in this installment. All right, the last email comes from Chloe, 18, of Christchurch, New Zealand, and she says, Hey there, MuggleCast, I'd like to put in my two cents on the whole Draco and Pansy discussion you had in episode 193. 
about why Draco and Pansy never ended up together. Found this piece of information off Harry Potter Wiki about why Draco and Pansy never got together. J.K. Rowling has said that Pansy did not end up marrying Draco because she always hated her. I loathe Pansy Parkinson. I don't love Draco, but I really dislike her. She's every girl who ever teased me at school. She's the anti-Hermione. I loathe her. So I'm guessing she didn't want Pansy to have a happy ending since she hated the character so much. Though it still bugs me that she just got some random character to marry Draco, a story of Greengrass. But then again, the book series is not called Draco Malfoy. It's called Harry Potter. Sorry if this does not make complete sense from Chloe. And it makes perfect sense. And I'm glad that she uh, she put that in there because uh, I don't think we mentioned anything about what J.K. Rowling had to say about it last week. Basi- basically, Joe just wanted to stick it to, to Pansy. To Pansy Parkinson. <laughs> you will not be happily married. Or married. <laughs> it's oh kind of funny. Gosh. <laughs> and once again, we have smart listeners. I mean, yeah, finding this stuff. Keep an eye out for us. Yeah. Yep, yep. Better yep. than us. Yeah. Well, I should just replace say that. Open yeah. auditions for MocoCast. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I've mentioned before, there's just so much information pertaining to the series. It's, you know, quite impossible to get it all, you know, have it all memorized, especially, you know, things that Joe has said in the past. However, we do try to look stuff up while we're, you know, talking yeah. about these topics. Yeah. And we're always happy to read these emails. Oh, of course. Especially if you have a an interesting name or f- are from an interesting place. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's get into chapter by chapter. This week we're looking at chapters 10, 11, and 12 of Prisoner of Azkaban. And uh, we're going to start with chapter 10, of course, the Marauder's Map. So when the chapter opens, we see Harry doesn't want to throw away the pieces of his Nimbus 2000. It, quote, felt as though he'd lost one of his best friends and this sort of reminded me of uh, Hedwig's death in Deathly Hollows because this is an example of Harry's childhood slowly disappearing. You know, it's heading into the past as he loses items like Nimbus 2000 and like Hedwig. Are there any other examples of Harry losing childhood items that you can think of off the top of your head? Dobby. S- Sirius. Dobby and Sirius, yeah. Great examples. I mean, equal to... I mean, he's holding the pieces of his Nimbus 2000. It's not like he's holding, like, Hedwig's broken body and has to throw her <laughs> away. But but you're right. I mean, it's this passage. It's these things that Harry has loved, you know? I mean, later in the later in this, this series of chapters, he's remembering the first time he wrote a broomstick. And it's, you know, it's kind of very reminiscent of this. Yeah. I would be so upset, too. I mean, that's that was his first broom. That was, you know, he loves Quidditch. And that's... That, that holds a lot of memories for him, and to lose that, to see it shattered in pieces, it's yeah. very sad. It was the top of the line, too, in its time. Yes, in its time, in its day. <laughs> so, Harry hasn't told anyone about the Grimm, and this, in a way, is a testament to his strength, I think, because if I had a repeat Grimm offender going after me, I wouldn't hesitate to tell someone. So, you know, at this, at the same time, I do find it kind of odd that he didn't mention the Grimm to anyone. It, it was sort of immature, but, you know, well, what's the deal? Why, why isn't he telling anyone? Well, go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. Mi- no, go ahead, Micah. I was going to say, how much is uh, of it, though, is you know, he constantly hears McGonagall sort of downplaying Trelawney and her predictions, and, and a lot of this does come from his divination class, you know, and, and his ability to sort of see these things with, you know, within the teacup, and then he sees it at the match again. 
But, you know, so I wonder if he feels if he goes and talks to a professor, it, it's going to be something that's easily dismissed. And, and you know, remember, this is a kid who had heard voices all throughout Chamber of Secrets, and he was told it wasn't good to hear voices. Uh, so, you know, and then now, now all of a sudden, instead of hearing things, he's seeing things. So, you know, maybe he thinks that if he goes forward to somebody again, that they're going to dismiss him. That's a good point. Um I, I think also that, that maybe possibly Harry suspects, sort of in the same line, is that I think he suspects that there's more to it than that it's the Grimm. And, I mean, he has no way of knowing specifically that, oh, you know, he saw a dog and imagines not a Grimm. But just the way that the, the Grimm, uh, just the way that Sirius approached him uh, on Magnolia Crescent, you know, and wasn't threatening, you know, just, just randomly in the bushes and then a minute later gone. There's something non-threatening about, you know, a certain aspect. I, I, I think Harry has a suspicion that perhaps there's more to the story. And, I mean, there is more to the story, but I, I think he kind of wants to see if it's not actually, you know, not superstition. That I mean, I think he's pretty sure at this point that he's really seeing the Grimm, so... The Grim being an omen, uh, you know, works to to make him feel vulnerable. But also, I think he thinks that that, that there's possibly something else going on. Yeah, yeah, I, can I see don't that. know. Like, I, I I would think if he were to tell someone like McGonagall, getting back to Micah's earlier point, I think McGonagall would have taken it a little more seriously. I mean, you know, we see her very paranoid about Harry going to Hogsmeade, for example. I, don't you think she would be like, oh, you've seen Grimm. Well, what's up with this? Let's talk to Dumbledore about it or something. Yeah. I, it is curious why Dumbledore is not involved here. Um, yeah, I was missing him in these chapters. I mean, he shows up in chapter 12. Uh, maybe a little bit in chapter... No, not chapter 11. Just chapter 12. Well, I was missing him. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, particularly because Dumbledore knows of Sirius's uh, Animagus form. We find that out, obviously, later on, that he, he knew that all of the Marauders were able to transform uh, because of everything related to Lupin and, and needing to have a place of refuge for him to turn into a werewolf. But th that's that's another thing about this book that kind of puzzled me a little bit, um, you know, that why Dumbledore really wouldn't be on the lookout for his animagus form. Well, anyway, moving along, Lupin is back as teacher of the Defense Against the Dark Arts class. He hears about how Snape treated them and tells the students they don't have to write the two rolls of parchment, uh, the essay, that uh, that has to be two rolls of parchment. Now, is this just me, or is it bad for a teacher to cancel an assignment issued by another professor? Because, like, in the real world, that's like a substitute teacher, you know, issuing an assignment, and then the real teacher coming back and canceling it. It just seems irresponsible. <laughs> Andrew, I, I don't think that a substitute teacher I've ever had has actually issued any work. To be done. Well, usually they follow the the, the, the like, guideline, the, right? Yeah, I, I it seems right. irresponsible. I think it's protection because the essay was on werewolves, wasn't it? So Lupin just doesn't want people yeah. delving into that much about werewolves. Otherwise, you know, lest they find out that Lupin is a werewolf. Yeah, I agree. With I that. get, I get that. But he said, I think he does mention in this chapter that they are going to get to werewolves eventually. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I was just. I think that sets a bad example for the students. Yeah. And what if that got back to Snape? <laughs> ha ha, he canceled our assignment. He just write him, he just make him do an essay in potions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, But I, I think that it, that's a little bit of the, the relationship underlying between Lupin and Snape. And I don't think, 
uh, very true. You know, Lupin is is very uh, fond of Snape in you know the teaching aspect of it, but at the same time, I mean, he has to be grateful to him for uh, brewing this potion that he's been drinking all the time. Oh yeah, yeah I think you're right. Yep. So after class, Lupin holds Harry back to talk about the Dementor attack. He goes into great detail about the Dementors, describing them as some of the, quote, foulest creatures that walk this earth. They infest the darkest, filthiest places. They glory in decay and despair. They drain peace, hope, and happiness out of the air around them, end quote. Harry wants Lupin to teach him how to fight off a Dementor, and Lupin agrees to help, but he must wait until the next term. I, I didn't particularly get that because this seems like a very urgent situation. And and Lupin's excuse wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. About what? being busy and all that. There, there's prep work to be done, though. Like, I mean, as we well, find out to in, find chap- the in chapter 12, yeah. Right. I mean, the Patronus, we, he had to find a, a substitute for, for an actual Dementor, which is ends up being a Bogart. And um, he's also got to uh, the moon. I, I guess the full moon is coming up, isn't it? I mean... That's what I gathered because he's he's about to go into hibernation. I think yeah. until after this next phase of the moon. Yeah, as we find out in the next chapter, he's absent from Christmas dinner. So uh, I think that's part of the reason why uh, in this chapter he tells Harry it's going to have to wait. And uh, <laughs> did we want to talk a little bit about the Dementors at all? I mean, it, the, the way J.K. Rowling describes them. Yeah, it was a beautiful description. But do you have Fantastic Beasts anywhere? Um, I don't actually I know why. Book. I'm sure they're... Oh, really? No. Um, but because they're in there, I mean, they're described as being unnatural in, you know, you know, throughout the, and, and, you know, against nature and all that. And they're, they're really, like you say here, they're very, you know, incredibly descriptive about, you know, all this, all this decay, despair that they suck in. Very interesting creatures, very scary, um, even for this early in the series. Well, we'll talk about them a little bit more later on, at least in my chapter. And we could focus more on them in, you know, a main discussion or something in the future if we want to. Mm. Um, but so uh, moving along, Christmas approaches and another visit to Hogsmeade is scheduled. Harry believes he'll be st- uh, stuck at Hogwarts alone again. But but to his surprise, Fred and George introduce him to the Marauder's Map. Bing! Fred and George show him the best path to get to Hogsmeade. They leave and Harry heads off. And it's interesting to see, you know, Harry uh, be introduced to this item for the first time. And, of course, we as readers are also being introduced to it. Um, and I thought this was a very crucial part of the story, as without going to Hogsmeade, Harry would have never heard the story about Sirius. So this was one of those, you know, X factors. So anyway, um, Harry heads off, and Joe makes the pass- passageway between Hogwarts and Hogsmeade out to be very long, uh, which makes sense, you know, because he has to get to Hogsmeade from Hogwarts. And Harry eventually has to climb a couple hundred stairs to reach the end, which sounds very difficult. I wonder why these paths were created in the first place. Who would actually dig a path that long just, just to get to Hogsmeade? Well, you can do it with magic, though. You can dig with magic, like, you know what I'm saying? So it it's not exactly like it would be if it were the normal world and they were that long a, a tunnel. Um, but, I mean, especially in Deathly Hallows where we see, and, you know, we've known, I mean, this is one of the interesting points of reading, you know, Hogwarts of History, because it seems to be so closely tied with the nearby village. You know, Hogsmeade itself is very important for being like the, the wizard set, all wizard settlement, you know, in Britain. 
and at the same time, it's it's got all these secret passageways that go straight up to the school, and it was used for, like, a Goblin Rebellion headquarters and all that. It, it's so interesting to see Hogwarts being the safest place, you know, in the Wizarding World to hide something and have this, this town nearby, and they're just interlinked, and I'd love to know the history, you know, furthermore of, of why those tunnels were built and also, you know, what relationship the school has to the town. Maybe they had a period of prohibition, just like uh, <laughs> the United States, where they were doing all this underground selling of alcohol uh, from the bars to in Hogsmeade to, uh, yeah. to everybody at Hogwarts, yeah. I bet Joe has a really cool answer for it. And it, it may be interesting to take into consideration that this path ends up in Honeyduke, so maybe there was some illegal trading going on. Who knows? I agree. I think there was. <laughs> underground goat trading. <laughs> so moving along, luckily for Harry, Ron and Hermione are there at Honeydukes where the passage passageway ends when he arrives. They are stunned, but Hermione's main concern is Harry being seen. And this of course is a big difference because, you know, Harry has the cloak and he doesn't even go through this path in the movie. Down this down this path in the movie. You you're, and, su- you're saying he has the cloak in the movie but not in the book? Right. So frankly, I mean Harry should have brought along the 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 visibil- invisibility cloak. In the book, I mean, that could have made much more sense, and I wonder why Joe didn't write that into the book. It just seems... He's a risk taker. <laughs> yeah, I know, but even with the invisibility cloak, it's a it's a risk. Uh, it seems true. too convenient for nobody to stop him when you yeah. know, he's walking around in Hogsmeade. Well, how many people outside of, say, Ron, Hermione, and some of the professors know that Harry's not supposed to be there? I mean, to the average classmate, they probably don't think anything of it. That question feeds directly into a point I want to make in the, in, in my chapter of the thing, too, what you said, Micah, so I'm going to remember that. Okay, so moving along, the trio head to the three broomsticks. You know, Harry's just there, whatever. Unfortunately, shortly after sitting down, of course, as luck would have it, Hagrid, McGonagall, Flitwick, and Fudge all come in for drinks as well. Harry hides under the table, and Hermione moves a Christmas tree in front of them, so they, primarily Harry, are not seen. So this this is where things get crucial. While speaking to uh, Madame Rosmerta about the Dementors, Fudge reveals that he had met some of the Dementors. And as MuggleNet staff member Noah pointed out to us in an email, how exactly did they meet? I mean, do they talk? Do they have their own language? Do they have sign language? What do the Dementors sound like? Darth Vader. Do- <laughs> do they I, do they speak in like a uh, uh, the, the language that like the Navi do in Avatar? I'm sure. Uh, I bet they have their own cool language, and Fudge can like speak it too. <laughs> but does isn't there a similar scene though where where it mentions Dumbledore talking to them as well? And maybe no, it was that's earlier the mermaids, on in the books. Dude. I thought it was earlier on in this book when uh, he removes them from the Quidditch pitch, but maybe I'm Uh-oh. wrong. But. Oh, Dumbledore? Yeah. I mean, I would assume yeah, Dumbledore yeah, he can said, speak to them as well, if Fudge can. I mean, Fudge isn't a very smart guy, at least yeah, in my he said, he, uh, Yeah, Dumbledore does say, he, well, we know that Dumbledore was very angry at them, and of course yeah. he had to do something. Well, I mean, things like, well, well, like when Hagrid gets out of Azkaban, you know, in book two, they send, like, release papers, and so there's got to be somebody, if not a Dementor at Azkaban, administrating to, like, say, oh, you have to release this person, and then for the Dementors to comply. It's interesting because the, the Dementors have, like, seem to have this this person, you know, they can communicate, and they have an agenda 
uh, as as is described by Lupin to Harry later on, that they you know have their own ideas and feelings, and they they genuinely want to cause uh, devastation and, and you know suck certain people's souls out. I mean, they, yeah. so they have these. They appear definitely, and and you're right. Dumbledore you know does talk to them and establish some ground rules that they can't you know come onto the campus. They have to stay at the edges. That's a big deal. So. They talk, but it's it's not really described. Yeah, something else though that that Noah brought up that I thought was kind of interesting, referring to the Dementors and you know the trust that the Wizarding World puts in them. You know these foul creatures that walk the earth, and you know it, it, what does that say about you know as long as they serve their purpose? I mean, these were people that are not people; they're creatures that had served the darkest wizard that ever existed. And yet, as long as they're serving their purpose and guarding Azkaban, the, the wizards seem to turn sort of a blind eye to what these creatures actually are and what they do. And I don't know if that was kind of a parallel to stuff that goes on in, uh, our world. Yeah. It's very interesting that you mentioned. I wonder. Yeah. I, what if the Dementors spoke like, like, like a donkey or something? They'd, no just keep just keep going out keep guessing no don't cut it out (laughs) no i'm enjoying it i'm thoroughly enjoying it you have to keep they speak like cows every once in a while just keep coming up with with different ways that dementors (laughs) can speak throughout the show just randomly interject dumbledore dumbledore's like they all must you all must leave and they're like moo Trying uh, that's trying too hard, I think. Yeah, so anyway, bit. to wrap up the, to wrap up this chapter, things start to get deep, and this is nothing to joke around about. Long story short, as we all know, Sirius is Harry's godfather, and they believe, you know, being Hagrid, McGonagall, Flitwick, and Fudge, um, that Sirius betrayed Harry's parents, and this is a real bombshell. And we also learn how the Secret Keeper enchantment works. Does anyone remember their their reaction the first time they read this? I mean, just like the trio, I believed it. And inter- interestingly, we never hear why the teachers think Sirius is trying to get into Hogwarts. Is it? Is it just simply that they think Sirius wants to kill Harry? What do you mean? Why do the teachers think that Sirius is breaking into the school or wants to break into Hogwarts? Well, remember Fudge overheard, you know, Sirius Black saying he's at Hogwarts, he's at Hogwarts. I mean, that's what the whole thing is 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 on is based on that right but uh, does he want to kill Harry? they oh. think he wants to kill harry right well i i'm sure that nothing can good of nothing good can come of Sirius getting harry either you know yes. either he wants to kill him or he wants to take him back to voldemort you know it's it's kind of a no win what did you guys make of this you know whole this whole big thing that we learn i mean this was this was a very deep story that we hear i mean yeah. it's several pages long i think this is one of the first times in the series that we get such a deep story a yeah. serious story i honestly i think this passage is probably why it's my favorite book um just because it's it's such it's such backstory but it's also i mean you know we find Jay, we're kind of being misled in a way i mean we you know we get this huge story that obviously isn't even i mean the good the good part about it is is that it's not all it appears to be there's actually more to the story than even this yeah so we've been operating yeah. this far you know with no story we get this story and then even better it actually works out you know even better with series being it is in the end and that's just that's why i like this book yeah my yeah. favorite scenes are always involving the teachers like group teacher discussions and that's why one of my favorite scenes in prisoner of azkaban the movie is in the shrieking shack when we see sirius and loop and snape and they're all talking to each other it's really interesting mm. too short i though. was i yeah it was too short but what do you expect 
I mean, I, I remember leaning off my seat and like leaning into the screen. Like I was getting so into it. I was like, this is amazing. All these, all these fantastic English actors. And it's a shame they didn't have this part in the movie. Well, while watching that Shrieking Shack scene in, in theaters the first time, I had, I had next to me a, a Remus Sirius shipper, and she was just, <laughs> she squeed really loudly when Snape made that comment, oh, you two are bickering like an old married couple. And I, <laughs> I actually didn't, which is in the movie, and I actually didn't hear the rest of the scene, so it's just a funny, <laughs> funny. memory. Well, this scene is in the movie. Uh, it's just changed up a little bit. It's, it's dumbed down. Hagrid's not there. That's true. Madame Rosmerta is there. <laughs> Hagrid makes that scene. <laughs> well, and this was probably leading up to one of the worst acting jobs ever done by Dan Radcliffe uh, in the Harry Potter series. With the, oh, when come he's crying on, in the snow. Come, that's not fair. That's he was a their low friend. Shot. Too bad, James. He was their that's friend. That's a low blow. I blame I blame the director completely for that. For I keeping like it blame in. Gordon. Well, no. <laughs> Well, I mean that whole that whole time in the filming of the series, you know, Alfonso ga- had had influenced Dan so much. Dan had so many. He had all those new bands. Remember, like every interview, he had a new favorite band that was like you know all hardcore and punk. And I just think that that, that was a, a tough time in Dan's life. To, he was to, thinking to, about to, the Whomping Willow killing another it's, bird. It's too easy. It's too easy to attack Dan for that scene. I think. I mean, it's a little off, but I, I just, I, I get upset when people attack Dan for that scene. Okay, let's move on now to Chapter 11, The Firebolt. All right, so Chapter 11, The Firebolt, uh, starts off with Harry asking the question we have been asking all book long. Why had nobody ever told him about Sirius Black? And then he starts listing people. Dumbledore, Hagrid, Mr. Weasley, Cornelius Fudge. And and this is really, I think, where it starts to turn uh, in the series, where Harry really starts to get aggravated about not being given enough information. What do you guys think? That's a good point to 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 look at this and say, hey, this is kind of where it starts of Harry saying, wait a minute, these people who I've trusted haven't told me all that I should have needed to know. Again, <laughs> I think they're still scared. They still believe what's best for Harry is not telling him anything. Which, I don't know if it's mature. that's an immature mis- decision or a mature decision, because keep in mind, he is only 13, and I think we forget that a lot. Well, now that this really brings about the justification for what Mr. Weasley said about not going looking for Sirius Black, and, and maybe that was the fear, that if he found out the truth, he would want to kill him, which is really how Harry does feel. Uh, in the end, once he learns this information, but he he learns it anyway. I mean, I don't know. I just felt I've always felt throughout this entire book that it was wrong that he was never told this information from the start because what well, they're trying to prevent inevitably ends up happening anyway. Well, one of the uh, one of the reasons Dumbledore gives to Harry later is that. Um I think it was Dumbledore that when Harry first arrived at Hogwarts, even you know when he was eleven, people suspected that he could have actually been a dark wizard, um, because I mean all they know of Harry before he gets he actually gets to Hogwarts is that he was more powerful than Voldemort for some reason. Dumbledore knows the real reason, but I, I just can't help but think that some of the some of these things about them not telling Harry stuff in the in the early books is possibly more to you know they don't actually know him and. You know, maybe, maybe they're not discounting that, that Harry might have some secret dark power and really go the way of Voldemort if he has too much anger. Turn to the dark side, you know, yeah. all sorts of stuff. 
and and speaking of that anger, uh, he he goes up to the dorm room. He wants to be alone once once he gets back from Hogsmeade, and he starts going through the photo album of uh, pictures that Hagrid had given to him. And he looks at the wedding photo, and he finds Sirius. And as soon as he sees him, uh, the quote is a hatred such as he had never known before was coursing through Harry like poison. And this, I wanted to know what you guys think. Uh, is it a connection to Voldemort at work, even though Voldemort has not fully returned to power? Uh, you know, is it the Horcrux that's inside Harry starting to react? And he, you know, we see how that Horcrux, um, the locket has an effect on the trio when they're in the forest. It makes them, you know, really agitated and angry toward each other. So is this, you know, Harry's Horcrux at work? I don't think so. I think this is just a really clever way of Joe explaining, trying to, you know, describe Harry's feelings. Because, in all fairness, how does Harry know what poison feels like? Well, yeah, I mean, he does. It, yeah, it's Joe. I mean, but, like, knowing that Harry has had part of Voldemort's soul now with him this whole time, later, later, it's easy to say, hey, is this a reference to the Horcrux? But I think that, I think that it is actually Harry's own Emotion. emotion his own thought yeah less than it would be. i mean it's clever to think that it could be but at yeah, the same time i think i think it's too early for that to be into play um okay. I, I think that's actually how harry's feeling and theory, it, it's though, discounted anyway. if, it, if it if it is the horcrux it's it kind of cheapens you know what harry's feeling yeah well yeah because you're talking about the person that's responsible for his parents death he could naturally be feeling this way and then you know, going through all this emotion, Harry realizes that Draco is in fact aware of what Sirius had done to the part, uh, the Potters. And, uh, you know, he references what Draco said earlier on, uh, in the book. If it was me, I'd hunt him down myself. I'd want revenge. And, uh, this is, this takes place in a conversation later on between Ron, Hermione, and Harry. And, of course, Ron goes on to mention that his father told him about Pettigrew, because they were talking about just how dangerous Sirius Black was, and that all that was left of him was a finger. And uh, I wanted to know, how is it possible that Ron heard this story about Peter Pettigrew, but doesn't know anything about Sirius Black? Now, what do you mean, doesn't know anything? <laughs> well, he knows that he's responsible for killing Pettigrew, but okay. it would lead one to believe that he would have heard why he killed Peter Pettigrew. Oh, not you know? at all. No, I mean, Fudd says in the previous chapter that nobody really knows about the Secret Keeper thing. Yeah, and also, I mean, again, Ron's dad could have been purposely leaving out information to avoid, you know, scaring him or anything. I mean, That's if he true. knows, if he knows, if he, if he knows Sirius is responsible for Pettigrew, you know, and they only found a finger, then that's, that's all you need to know, really. I mean, why he did it. I, I can see what you're asking. Um, why he did it. But, Maybe there's maybe there's like a folk song about Peter Pettigrew, you know, like all that was left of his finger, and it's a cautionary tale, and the kids know it, and that's why right. they're able to know, you know, all about Pettigrew, and not about Sirius Black. Do, but. do you guys think Harry felt motivated to go after Draco or to go after Sirius because of what Draco said? Like part of him also wanted to prove to Draco that he could do it. Yeah, he could go after uh, Sirius and try to kill him. Definitely. Yeah, I mean that yeah. kind of goes into my to the next point um, because there's this really what I consider annoying sequence between Harry and Hermione with her pleading him not to go looking for thinking about killing Black and I think she's sometimes a little too old for her age because wouldn't Harry and, and this goes back to what we were talking about when he was looking at the photo 
wouldn't he naturally feel this way, even if he's not going to act upon it? You know, the feeling is going to be there regardless. So I, I think Hermione is being a little bit too, you know, overbearing in this situation. I mean, Harry should feel this way. I think it's only natural. Mm. Yeah. But I think also just from um, a writing standpoint, there needs to be this balance between, you know, Harry, who really wants to go after him. And then it's I think it's interesting to read it. You find it annoying, but I guess it is sort of interesting to see someone, you know, being the, the reasonable person here saying, don't go after him. It's dangerous. And and yes, it can get annoying to see Hermione care so much, but it's in her character. So and yeah. well, just just to let him know he has options and has friends who who, who care about him enough, you know, is, is probably yeah. worlds, you know, worlds of difference there, you know, for when he does decide to go after Black um, or even after the Horcruxes that that they're able to to calm him down. Right. Well, I mean, I have to play devil's advocate, so that's all I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I hear yeah. you. But, uh, and then what happens is they decide to go visit Hagrid, which is not a popular decision by Hermione, uh, but they go and do it anyway. And uh, part of the reason why Harry, or the entire reason why Harry wants to go there is because he wants to ask Hagrid why Hagrid never mentioned anything to him about Sirius. And when they get there, they learn about Buckbeak and that, He's facing this inquisition and trial for his attack on Draco Malfoy, and Hagrid is extremely upset, and Harry decides that it's better not to bring up the topic of Sirius Black. And so I was wondering, you know, what does this say about his character? We just talked about Hermione a little bit, but what does it say about Harry's character? If, you know, despite all that he's going through emotionally, he's still willing to kind of put aside his feelings to deal with something that's important to Hagrid. Well, that wasn't his first intention. I mean, wasn't Harry's first intention to go in there and be like, Hagrid, uh, why didn't you tell me about this? What's what's the deal? So his first intention was to be, you know, mean. Yeah, I think I think when he got there too, like, you know, Hagrid's in this state. I mean, no nobody likes a blubbering oaf or a blubbering humdinger or whatever. You know, they just have to take care of Hagrid's mess. And I think it drives. I mean, yeah, it says something to Harry's character, but I mean, he know he knows which battles to pick. You know, when when to when to press an issue, right? And that's important later, I guess. Right. So during this time at Hagrid's hut, we learn a lot about Azkaban and his time there, and that he never wants to go back, uh, and that the trio also agree to do research uh, for Buckbeak's upcoming trial. Um, so we move yeah. on to Christmas, and uh, the big story plot line that is completely left out until the end of the movie arrives, and that's Harry gets this mysterious firebolt uh, on Christmas morning, and Ron goes through a list of people it could have possibly come from, including Lupin. Uh, Dumbledore was the first suggestion, then Lupin. Uh, and we also learned that Lupin was not in the hospital wing despite being ill during Harry's match. So I think we're starting to realize, as we have with past Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, that something is up with uh, Lupin. Now, had any of you guys yeah. figured out, I mean, I know it was a while ago, by this point <laughs> that, you know, he's a werewolf? No. Well, I mean, there were... No, yeah, I guess not. There's a lot there of were, clues. I mean, yeah, like exactly his name means of the moon, you know. <laughs> it's, right. Yeah, but I, I certainly wasn't smart enough back then to be reading into names of characters. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, um, 
I, I think though with with this chapter, um, both the Lupin subplot and the Buckbeak subplot, it's at this point where you say, you know, I realize that this kind of thing is that that it's actually important that it's still going and that it's going to pay off somehow. By you know, by the end of the book, that it's yeah, a, it's a, mentioned like so randomly, it, you know, in such yeah. passing. It's like, oh, it's Christmas morning, and and the big thing is that Harry gets his firebolt, but also Ron mentions that during the Quidditch match, um, Lupin wasn't there, or yeah. and or sorry that when he was serving his detention, cleaning out toilets in in the hospital wing, Lupin wasn't in there. So, uh, you know, you start to realize that something is up with him, but that's just kind of like a small point in passing. Like, you know, it's like these little things that are, you'd pass over otherwise, I think. Yeah. So again, it is Christmas morning and, and what would Christmas morning be without a fight between Crookshanks and Scabbers? And, uh, I don't know what round it is. I've lost track. Um, they go at it again. It's four. It's four? Okay. It was four and, last week. Uh, Ron tries to kick Crookshanks. Uh, hopefully Peter's not, uh, you know, listening or anything like that. And in the process, he kicks the trunk, Harry's trunk, and it falls over and out pops the sneakoscope. And it starts going absolutely crazy. Now, does nobody find it odd that this is the second time now that the sneakoscope has gone off around Scabbers? I mean, I know that there's a lot in that room, but uh, yeah, uh, this is this is just people. This is people not trusting their magical devices. Like the sneakoscope is described <laughs> as being broken. You know, I mean, isn't it like the you know this random tricky bit of gizmo? You, the sneakoscope to begin with. So it goes off, and it's wonderful for Joe to have fun with this. Like, even in book four a lot, you know, have the sneakoscope be going off randomly. And it always means something, but the characters don't take a time, and never take time to see why it's going off. Right. Like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna grab it and hold it up to certain people and see if it goes off, finally get the scabbers and say, there's something up with the scabbers. Yeah. But they should. But they it's, don't. It's, it's one of those small plot pieces that, again, it's just overlooked probably when you're reading through the first time and then you go back and you're like, oh, now that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and, very cool. Uh, so we see Scabbers, uh, or Harry does, for the first time in a long time, and uh, he appears very skinny with patches of fur seeming to have fallen out. Harry couldn't help feeling that unless Scabbers had powers he had never revealed, he was reaching the end of his life. So... I guess there's a bit of irony there, a bit of foreshadowing. Um, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of J.K. Rowling working her magic. <laughs> anyway. Working her magic <laughs> with a pen. So uh, my favorite part of Christmas, dinner arrives. And uh, now the trio go down for dinner. And, and there's a little bit of humor here because Dumbledore... I, I guess it's called a cracker. I've never. It must be a British term. It must be like. I a, asked Jamie about this last week. Remember? And what did he say? He, I, I honestly yeah, don't remember. He said that they're like they're like cracker jack boxes. I mean, he didn't make that oh. comparison, mm. but he's like the little prizes that you get. So apparently, I mean, they're called crackers and they make a cracking sound. But I think they're actually crackers too, like mm. like cr- crackers that crack and make a. I, I, I don't know, but I did ask him because I I knew this scene was coming up, and he said, "Yeah, there are prizes within. It's a British tradition. It's a British um, confection. That's basically, you know, you pull them and they come apart. I imagine it would be something like a fortune cookie or, gotcha. uh, you know, like that." Interesting. Okay, so so out comes a witch's hat topped with a stop 
stuff Vulture because because Dumbledore asks Snape, um, I guess to make the cracker pop or whatever. I I don't know what the, <laughs> the right term is. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and again, everybody <laughs> probably reading the book gets a good laugh at Snape's expense because you know the trio remember what happened during Lupin's lesson and uh, w- with the uh, the Boggart. So uh, now. In true Dumbledore fashion, he puts it on and wears it for the remainder of dinner. And, uh, I mean. What a goofball. He is a goofball. <laughs> I mean, anyway. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. And you love that. We <laughs> just, just spent like three minutes on it. It's true Dumbledore. I mean, we haven't, like you yeah, said, we haven't seen him for most of this book. Um, right. But anyway, now the, uh, the drunkard Trelawney arrives, uh, at, <laughs> Christmas dinner, and uh, she's at first reluctant to dine because, quote, when 13 dine together, the first to rise will be the first to die. Yeah, this was ver- really funny because she, like, looked around the table and she was like, no, I refuse to sit down because I will make 13. <sighs> right. You know what, guys? This this just hit me, dude. This, you're going to love this. That It's a Christ allegory um, with the Last Supper, you know, <laughs> Jesus and the 12 apostles and uh-huh. then... Oh, interesting. then Jesus rises and, you know, or whatever, because he's standing in, the, in Leo da Vinci's painting. Now we know that, I mean, in hindsight, we know that Trelawney's stuff is BS because Harry and Ron are the first to rise. And, of course, it's actually Dumbledore who's sitting at that table who was the first to die. So, yeah. Right. And it's... Well, now, now, Micah, you were down foreshadowing to... Order yeah, of why the Phoenix. Is this, well, because of why? Sirius. When they, when they dine in uh, Grimmauld Place... I think they said there they people like counted it up and there were thirteen yeah. at the table and he was the first to rise. So Oh no. So by oh, that's good. Uh so by Eric's logic, Sirius is Jesus Christ. <laughs> well uh I did I said so, this time it's a Christ allegory, next time it's JK Rowling being true oh, to Trelawney. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, it's interesting yeah, foreshadowing it's a, there. Yeah, right. yeah this cool. is just Trelawney, though. Like so, Some of her things don't always come true right away, or they may be a little bit off, but uh-huh. some of them are, are pretty pretty spot on. You could also argue it's coincidence, yeah, though. It I mean, <laughs> I don't think anything is coincidence in this series. But No, no, no. Um, That's true. But anyway, um, McGonagall, for the first time, she really stro- shows this strong bias that she has against another professor in the way she you know carries on the conversation with Trelawney. I want to know. Well, she did this with uh, um, last year Lockhart too, didn't she? With the sarcasm. Yeah, you're right. I think she did a little bit. Yeah. So it's it's interesting side of her character. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like it. You don't. She's too well, she's too prestigious for me. I, I don't want to see her being all sarcastic. Well, it's interesting seeing her like that too, because her actions are called into question this whole time when she has Harry's fireball. Like, you know, especially in the next chapter, I have a few points about that where they're wondering what allegiance, you know, she has because they keep his firebolt from him. But McGonagall, you know, in this chapter is is again disrespecting Trelawney. And it's really interesting because Harry and Hermione, in fact, you know, everybody really takes what McGonagall means to be to be pretty much, you know, true and acceptable. She's the head of their house. They're very loyal to her. Oh, so you're saying because... McGonagall I, yeah, she's a bit of a kook. Hermione thinks the same thing. I, I think I think she's definitely assisted by that. You know, if McGonagall really revered Trelawney, and if Trelawney weren't such a kook, um, I think it'd be a different story entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, as I mentioned earlier, we learned Lupin is missing again, and and I think you know Hermione's probably going through in her head 
the checklist of things, you know, because she's already suspected Lupin uh, of of being a werewolf, and now when she hears about Dumbledore asking Snape if he's brewed him his potion, I think it's just another uh, piece of uh, of confirmation. Um, and then at the end of dinner, Hermione asks for a word with McGonagall. Ron thinks it's to take more classes, ha ha ha, but. Uh, we all know what happens, and you know, Eric. This, I guess, kind of leads into your point with the firebolt, and uh, you know, McGonagall ends up taking it away uh, from Harry because both of them think McGonagall and Hermione do that it came from Sirius Black. Now, moving away from from the, the actual story part, <laughs> I part love of what here, you've written here. I, yeah, I wrote. If I were thirteen, I know I'd be pretty pissed at Hermione. Uh, even though she's looking out for Harry, sometimes she's a little bit too much of a goody two shoes. You know, I mean, this is this is a, you know like this is like the cool thing. Like if you got like I don't know, like, uh, say you played sports and you got like a really cool basketball, a really cool football, or you know cleats that made you run faster, and all of a sudden, you know, you got it Christmas morning, and then all of a sudden Christmas night, <laughs> somebody took them away from you. It 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 should have went like this. Not my firebolt, you bitch! <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why there's a pause in Jim Dale's reading of it, so that you can insert your own uh, noun into. Uh, yeah. His... Okay, I see that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I would have been upset too. But but I mean, Hermione just cares. Like, <sighs> and and they bring this up at the end when they get the firebolt back. Yeah. yeah. Harry and Ron are like, you know, maybe we should thank Hermione. For yeah, she's just looking out for us. I mean, it's kind of like reporting like unattended baggage at the airport, though. It's like you know, you're going out of your way to for the for the good of everybody else. She's just that kind of person. All right, let's move on to chapter twelve, the Patronus. Chapter twelve, the Patronus. Okay, so. Oliver Wood comes back. It's the end of uh, Christmas break. And he kind of approaches Harry and starts to say, hey, look, we really can't have the same thing happen at the next Quidditch match that we had in the previous Quidditch match. It sounds almost for a minute like he's trying to get Harry kicked off, like he's going to try and replace him. Because he says, I hate to lose you as a oh, seeker. Yeah. And Harry is is reminded, um, or Harry remembers the, the promise that Lupin made that after christmas he could actually um start practicing so he tells wood about that and also ron comes forward ron and harry are furious with hermione and they tell him they tell oliver wood about the firebolt um and wood you know wood decides that he's gonna go talk to mcgonagall because obviously uh there's nothing wrong with it and that you know they need the firebolt to win so um this touches on what we said before, you know, McGonagall, um, he kind of acts, would acts like, um, Griff, like McGonagall wouldn't really want Gryffindors to have Gryffindors best interests at heart. Um, and is obviously, uh, you know, in line with, with, with Harry, what, what ends up happening is, you know, Oliver Wood, um, acts as though it's more important that the firebolt is back in Gryffindor's possession for the team than Harry's well-being, which is, you know, obviously how Wood feels, but it's kind of funny. Uh, the interesting thing is that Harry, um, Harry and Wood are talking and Wood asks him why she has the firebolt. And Harry says out loud to him that Sirius Black is, you know, it's to protect me against Sirius Black because they think Sirius Black's in it. But I didn't know at what point the rest of the world knew that Sirius Black was specifically after Harry. Because, I mean, we just came from the Three Broomsticks, where they're right. talking about, y you know, this. And we talked well, about this just, just a minute I don't ago. think Oliver Wood cares. 
and th- I think that's w- was Harry's intention of telling him. Harry was so upset that his broom was taken. He doesn't care who knows the actual reason why. And Oliver doesn't really care why the broom was taken. He just wants Harry to play and he wants the firebolt back. So, you know, Harry oh, okay. could have told him, you know, Voldemort was coming to the match tomorrow and Oliver would say, I don't care. Get the broom. Yeah. He's one of those kids that's always just passionate about the game. That's all he cares about is winning. He's a typical, he was, he's like Micah was in his college days. It was all about the sports. He didn't care about anything else. About playing, about winning. Right, Micah? Is, is that true, Micah? I know that's, that's right. I never knew okay. you in college, but I, I assume you were like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't so... play any sports. I, I was just passionate about the, the teams that played for my school. Right. Well, that's cool. You, you gotta be true to your school. Um, some other stuff happens uh, during the chapter, and eventually um, Harry does uh, follow up with Lupin. He reminds him after class, hey, you said you'd help me fight off Dementors. So um, he actually he does attend. Lupin says, how about next Thursday night in the History of Magic classroom? So they go, and Harry meets up with Lupin, and Lupin says that in, you know he solved the problem. Instead of bringing an actual Dementor into the school, he's actually found another Boggart. And this Boggart was, uh, is said to be in Filch's filing cabinet, um, which I thought was just really funny. You know, Filch has enough to deal with, let alone a, a Boggart in his filing cabinet, you know, messing up, m- messing stuff around. Um, but I wondered if Squibs can see Boggarts because it just seems to me like Filch would have been attacked by this Boggart. You know, at some point, if yeah. it was in his file cabinet. Well, maybe somebody else and- captured it and stuck it in the filing cabinet for him. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Peeves. But then again, I, I, I would know. assume another teacher would just put it somewhere else. So I think if if it is in his in his room, then in his filing cabinet, then yes, I think that answers the question. What is Filch's Boggart too like? If 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 uh, if Filch had discovered this own his Boggart of his own, what do you think it would have turned into? A student out of line. No, I don't. I uh, Dumbledore is saying there's no more rules. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Catnip. I don't know. Catnip. <laughs> so <laughs> a dead crook or a dead uh, Mrs. Norris? Yeah, well, no, I think catnip because because Mrs. Norris would be loving something more than she loved Filch. <laughs> Unrequited love, you know, Filch and his mm. cat. Um, so Harry does have a few rounds with his Dementor Boggart, and it's very interesting because this chapter is really about Harry and his own inner struggle. He needs to show complete mastery over his feelings. Uh, you know, on one hand, he needs to concentrate on this happy thought. To conjure a Patronus, it has to be this solid happy thought. He has to be clear of mind in order to make a Patronus that's going to fight off Dementors worth a damn. So then on the other hand, when faced with a Dementor, he's 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 hearing the dying words of his mother and father, which he's never heard. You know, I mean, he was an infant. He doesn't remember his, his parents' voices. And he's hearing them for the first time. And he actually, you know, it said he wants to hear their voices. And he almost doesn't want to create a Patronus so that he can be closer to his to his parents' voice. It's a really deep, you know, important theme and, and you know for Harry to, to to realize that and have to deal with wanting to hear how his parents sound shows tremendous you know leaps and bounds he's doing this advanced magic of the Patronus but he's also doing you know advanced he's really growing up essentially because he's having to conjure this this, this yeah. creation we see a deep inner struggle here and it is interesting to watch Harry I mean this is a real 
um, growth, mo- a very mature moment of Perry, where, as Lupin notes, he's he's practicing very advanced magic. Um, so it was interesting to watch, and he, uh, slowly more and more, Eric, I'm seeing why you. This is your favorite book. This is a very big development book for Harry. Yeah, I I, I mean I I caught too, and later he's I mean after class we're getting one more point in class, but after class he says to himself, "They're dead." You know, they're dead and, and listening to echoes of them won't bring them back. You, yeah. You know, he says to, which is very reminiscent of book seven, you know, where he's got the, the, the resurrection stone, you know, and, and it's kind of the moral of the three brothers story, you know, that, that some, once something's dead, it's not, you know, really natural. There's nothing you can really do to, to bring them back fully. So it's very interesting, this, this inner struggle of Harry. Um, it, what's interesting about in class is that uh, when Harry tells Lupin that he heard James's voice, Lupin tells them that they were friends at school. And Harry is, you know, fortunately, it doesn't take weeks for for a, a, a you know a climax to happen. Harry realizes that well, Sirius Black and, and and James were friends, so Lupin must have known Sirius Black. So he asks him, and uh, Lupin reacts really strangely and just says that that he thought he knew Sirius Black. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really interesting because here's a recurring, you know, plot of that that's just forming of of Lupin and Sirius and James all being at school together. You know, we've we've just gotten the Marauders map two chapters ago, and it's very interesting to see um, this plot uh, forming. Um, so it's interesting because he also asks Lupin about the Dementors. And he, he, right before he leaves, after he kind of ruins things by talking about Sirius, he asks Lupin what's under a Dementor's hood. And I have a quote from page 247. He says, What's hmm, the quote? Well, the only people who really know are in no condition to tell us what's under a Dementor's cloak. You see, the Dementor lowers its hood only to use its last and worst weapon. And Harry asks, What's that? And he says, They call it the Dementor's kiss, said Lupin with a slightly twisted smile. It's what Dementors do to those they wish to destroy utterly. I suppose there must be some kind of mouth under there, because they clamp their jaws upon the mouth of the victim and, hyphen, suck out his soul. Whoa. This is interesting because we were just talking about Dementors as, you know, can they be communicated with? And Lupin is saying that they they kiss people they wish to destroy utterly. Um, So it's like Dementors have their own you know, and, and they're they're not really controllable, even by the ministry. Um, you know, because when they get to Sirius Black, you know, or when they get to Barty Crouch, you know, even before they're authorized to, they suck out his soul. You know, yeah. and and so they they kind of they they have their own you know agenda and opinions. And yeah, well, I mean, it brings up what we were talking about earlier, though, with with just the the ministry's blind trust, or even the community as a whole's blind trust in these creatures, whose you know sole purpose is to you know Create feast despair. on despair and you know just why would you just trust in these types of creatures if you know they've already betrayed you once um in the sense yeah. of following Voldemort and as long as they're serving their purpose it's okay to just it's not okay you know, yeah, yeah i don't yeah i don't i don't think it's any question that they were going to join Voldemort if he ever rose again i mean that's that's what's so weird about it but the interesting thing about J.K.R. and how her books play out is that in at the beginning of book five, when we think that two Dementors were outside ministry control, you know, and, and, and just went after Harry as part of a, a personal vendetta on their part, they're actually, it's, it's interesting because we find out in the end that they were actually under the ministry's control still, you know, and that Umbridge sent them 
uh, to so, so you know these dementors are used as these tools of despair, and you know whether or not they're under ministry control, they're horrible creatures to have around. And right. certainly, you know, guys, oh. you're depressing me. Seems okay. to end. Okay, then we got we got to end. <laughs> Move happy, along. Happy moment. Harry gets his firebolt back. Yay! Yay! Um, they couldn't find anything wrong with it, and it it looks okay. You know, that's what Harry's mostly concerned about. Because at the end of the last chapter, when when Hermione says, "Oh, they're gonna strip it down," and and Harry's totally affronted, he's like, "You're gonna make my firebolt naked. It's not yeah. gonna look the same." He he gets it back, and it's fine. And and, and I think it's the uh, Joe describes his reaction as like. It felt amazing to see it back. Like he was so, he was really happy for the first yeah. time in days. Or he's so happy that he yeah. says to Ron, "Look, Ron. Okay, we have to resolve this with Hermione." Just before they enter Gryffindor Tower, they encounter Neville and Sir Cadigan, and it turns out Neville's lost his list of passwords, which uh, he made. The, the password is is weird. I don't remember what it is. It's weird password. So obviously, it was it was kind of a smart thing to say, "Hey, look, Sir Cadigan, you need to tell me what the passwords are going to be. I'm going to write them down." Obviously, that comes into play later. Not going to say anything else about that. But um, they get into the common room. Everybody's like, "Ooh, a firebolt! Shiny, shiny!" You know, where'd you get it? And all that stuff. And Harry is about to make some progress with Hermione, and you know, he walks over to her. He asks her about her classes. But soon enough, Ron, who has gone up to the bedroom, I think, to put the firebolt away, comes down, and he's got bed sheets that are bloody, and he screams. And he confronts Hermione and says, Scabbers is gone, and look what I found. And there are some ginger cat hairs that he throws at her feet. Round Round five, five. six. Yeah, I think think it's a KO, and uh, and, uh, Crookshanks has won at this point. And we'll talk about this at the beginning of the next chapter. But again, this draws the the parallel of uh, Sca- Scabbers and Crookshanks and Hermione and Ron. I mean, there's some similarities you can draw here, but we'll talk about that next yeah. week. Yeah. It's time now for quote quiz, 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 quiz. This, of course, is between chapters 13 and 15. That was quite some Patronus, said a voice in Harry's ear. Whose voice was it? Would it be anybody but Lupin's? That would be correct. Ding, 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 ding. It's quite hard to pick out quotes because <laughs> I could give you something really hard, like you, you did. <laughs> yeah, but that's, it has to that's be really somewhat hard. descriptive. Okay, so we did ask you guys to send in your tweets pertaining to these chapters, and we actually covered most of the questions you guys asked. Thank you to Michael Gonzalez. One last laugh sparkly lulls for sending in um, a few that we discussed throughout this chapter one we did not get to carly eads why do you think lupin never checked up on harry over the years if my best friend died i'd check on their kid occasionally i think that's a good point where was lupin come on yeah Some friend could it be i mean we know Sirius was in azkaban could it be that um they just trust dumbledore's protection of harry like they don't want to uh interfere with the muggles raising him and protecting him and all that? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think part of it could be his condition. and uh, But I, he's obviously okay for, you know, how many other days out of the month. So it, it's a little bit weird that he's never uh, 
looked in on Harry, or, or maybe he just feels content getting updates from Dumbledore. Why does why does Fig never show herself? She says that uh, she couldn't. Harry couldn't have a happy time where the Dursleys wouldn't want him to be there. Harry asks Mrs. Fig why she never comes out and says, "Hey, look, uh, I'm part of this wizarding world." I wonder if Dumbledore like forbid, you know, I mean, as well, like not in not in addition to Lupin having respect for Dumbledore, but that it would be Dumbledore's wishes for Harry to not have contact with the the wizard world. That you know, at the very least, until it's time, when, you know, when he's eleven and going to Hogwarts. But you know, after that happens, to not you know, jeopardize because part of the, the sole part of the protection on private drive lies in Petunia Dursley's, you know, allowing Harry to, to, to live there. And, you know, I guess maybe he thought that, that if, if, he if, didn't need- if people visited Harry, that it might, you know, from the outside world, it might push that over the edge maybe. Yeah. So that, yeah. He couldn't be a proper pick for slaughter if, if he had all that interaction. <laughs> True. Exactly, and we know that he was very a uh, Machiavellian uh, character. Okay, let's play favorites. And next week we will, uh, or next episode, episode one ninety five, we will cover episode or chapters thirteen through fifteen. So look forward to that. Read up and uh, send us your feedback about those chapters. If you have any questions that we can address during the show, um, time now to play favorites. Favorite Death Eaters, guys. Favorite Death Eaters. We asked people to send in their feedback via Twitter what their favorite Death Eater is. Everybody almost unanimously said Bellatrix. Ah. Uh, uh. But just to be different, I have to say Lucius Malfoy. Because Oops. Lucius, you know, he's a father figure. His, his son is in Hogwarts. And here he is being a Death Eater. I mean, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's sickening to me. Particularly for his non- you know, exit in the, in the, in Deathly Hallows, you know, which we talked on in the beginning with, with Jason Isaacs maybe rewriting it. Um, you know, at, in book seven, the Malfoys are very, you, you know, they have their son, like Voldemort has taken his personal vendetta against Lucius to nearly trying to get Draco killed in book six. And in book seven, it, he's like a bad, uh, house guest. You know, he, he crashes their manor, he hangs around, he kills old Hogwarts professors in front of them at the dinner table. You, you know, they're getting kind of sick of Voldemort. And they right. really see that, that whatever reasons Lucius has had for joining the Death Eaters and being a Death Eater all of these years is really called into question by Voldemort's actions in Book 7 and his continual, continuous abuse of them. I mean, he, outright insults their their allegiance and all that in front of all the other death eaters throughout book 7 he really he really causes that part of it but the, but the malfoys you know have to choose between Voldemort and their son and they choose their son and he's so So very, is that your favorite death eater? Well no just for what you're saying I mean I can see how <laughs> Who's your favorite death eater? Yaxley. Yaxley. Just cuz of the name. The name. It's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you Micah? I'd probably say Snape. I mean, he's probably forgotten uh, yeah. in uh, the Death Eater world, but I mean, he, yeah. he was one for a very long time and did all that undercover uh, business. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd go with Snape. I, I mean, I think Bellatrix is kind of the easy pick um, because, uh, and maybe we should have differentiated in the question because I know a lot of people pick Bellatrix particularly because of the actress who plays her. Um, <sighs> but... Uh, I don't know. I mean, who are some of the other ones? You, I mean, looking at the the tweets, Draco was uh, was one that people liked. That's a good point. Draco is a good one, yeah. And Bellatrix, of course. 
Regulus. Uh, Beldrick Snape. Yeah. Remember Regulus Black? There we go. If you want to be really different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, the other, I mean, the, the other, the other Death Eaters, I mean, there's like the father of Crab and Goyle. I mean, that's kind of random. Um, the, 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 um, executioner is a Death Eater, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. I can't Which remember his name right now. I'm drawing a blank. Weird. Uh, um, and real quickly, before we wrap up the show today, uh, last week, a lot of people were wondering what our Patronuses would be after we had answered what our Boggarts would be. So I wanted to address that real quick. Me personally, mine, oh God, like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it would be, but what I would want it to be is a little kitty cat. Cause it'd be so cool to be like, expecto patronum. And the little kitty cat comes out of my, my wand and just, <laughs> it's like meow. And it's sort of like sends its little paw up in the air and the death eater goes away. An adorable little, little kitty cat. Would like umbrage, huh? No. <laughs> like one of, well, I mean, one of our cats, maybe, I guess. <laughs> Or a puppy. How about you guys? Oh, by the way, Eric, the name was McNair. McNair, thank you. I was just looking it up. I was trying to find a list of Death Eaters. Because he uh, actually yeah. comes back in Order of the Phoenix, too. He's part of the whole scene at the Ministry. I don't know. Like I always I always think it'd be interesting to hear what other people would think the Patronus would be. Um, I don't know. Like Everyone write in with your ideas for Micah's Patronus. I think that'd my, be interesting. And mine. I think my Patronus would Probably just be like a loudspeaker or something. And a loudspeaker? Yeah, it would like talk the Dementor away, you know. Can Please it be step an away from me? Uh, yeah, I think it has yeah. to be an animal. Okay, okay. If it had to be an animal, then I would say the yak. Wow. The recurring yak. theme. Oh, that, the you recurring would be theme a... here? Yeah, like I'm the spieler. I'd spiel the Dementor away. It's an old nickname that I like to reprise every once in a while. We forgot about Barty Kratz Jr. Um, being a Death Eater. I'd go with uh, a lion. I know we're lion? like mixing two different conversations here, but <laughs> so, <laughs> this, is the most, so, this is the most so, so like Aslan like, would would come out of your yeah, wand. Yeah, like what Aslan? I I don't know. No, it's like oh, we're talking about McNair, then we're talking about Yaks, then we're talking about yeah, uh, Barty Crouch Junior, then we're talking about yaks. lions and Yaxley, the Death Eater. But Barty Crouch Junior was a Death Eater. That may go down as one of the most confusing conversations in MuggleCast history. But yeah, that's a good yeah, idea. Actually, People should send in what they think uh, the host Patronuses would be. Yeah, send us like a list. Um, so that just about does it for the show this week. It's been another great show, a three, a trio, the MuggleCast trio. Um, no, we don't want to start that. Um, we want to remind everybody about the MuggleCast website at MuggleCast.com. It has all the information you need pertaining to this show. You can subscribe and review us on iTunes, you can follow us on Twitter, and you can become a fan of us on Facebook, all through the website. You'll also find the MuggleCast Wall of Fame, where we've actually added a new inductee, and the new inductee is, of course, the Parallels episode, uh, episode 114 from September 24th, 2007. Uh, you know, we've referenced it before, and I said we would add it to the Wall of Shame. Well, guess what? We did. And it's there now. You mean Wall of Fame? Cool. On MuggleCast.com. And much more information there. So like visit transcripts. The site and the transcripts, yes. Can I bring that up for a minute? Because we're at, I think, 
189 episodes on the transcripts, and we're we're working through the the early 190s. So it, it, it's great to finally be in the year 2010 and have transcripts from the year 2010, because for a while we we were pretty far behind. I'll take responsibility for all that being far behind, but you know, for all the work that everybody has done, the whole team over there, they do a really great job, and you know, it's kind of one of those thankless positions where where they don't always get the recognition they deserve, and they really do work hard. The editors yeah. and the transcribers and, and everybody who's in charge over there. So, uh, you know, really thank you for that. And I know a lot of the listeners out there appreciate the work that you do. Yeah, Absolutely. and I, I do read the transcripts and I will go back and I really enjoy them. So thank you to everybody who produces those. Yeah, they're a great resource. And to think we have currently 189 transcripts is amazing. So thank you to the uh, staff there. That's that's great. And um, while we're talking about the site, we also wanted to... Uh, mention some other links that are on the site but we haven't talked about lately our frapper map and our last fm page the frapper map is this really cool thing there's a link on mugglecast.com on the right under community you can put a little pinpoint in our mugglecast map and it's cool because you can see where all the listeners are listening from and so check out the frapper map you can actually easily access it by going to frapper.com f-r-a-p-p-r.com slash mugglecast and finally our last FM page, uh, there's a link under community on MuggleCast.com as well. You can see what fellow MuggleCast fans are listening to. So, you know, what kind of music they're into. And uh, the top artists this week, as um, decided upon by MuggleCast listeners, is Lady Gaga. <laughs> Followed by Coldplay, Muse, The Beatles, Death Cab for Cutie. So that's a cool way to see what your fellow listeners are also listening to right now. That is really cool. Yeah. Neat, neat thing. I'm gonna hook my. Uh, I'm gonna join the MuggleCast group and and start using Last.fm so people can see what I'm listening to. My late uh, my the amount of Lady Gaga I listen to will push up that number, so she'll probably say it number one. <laughs> Again, MuggleCast.com. All the information you need pertaining to the show. Thanks everyone so much for listening. It's been another great episode. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull, and I'm Mike Atanabel. We'll see you next time for episode 195. Bye bye. 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 Next email comes from Georgia Kate uh, from Bristol, United Kingdom. Hey guys, I was recently listening to episode 193 during the chapter by chapter review. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> I like how you mute your mic. <laughs> Eric is beating, you don't have- beating his uh, poor dog. Yeah, I can't figure out why else he would just mute his mic like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, All right.